All right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Job, we'll be in chapters uh, 20 and 21, I believe, this morning. I'll try to get through both. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and um, being able to gather together and study it and to receive everything you have for us and your desire to make yourself known to us and to let us kind of fumble around down here like Job at times and his friends, maybe guessing and thinking and then you coming in with your word and straightening things out. And that's such a blessing. Um, I thank you for the spiritual sight that we have that's given to us through Jesus, that we have eyes that are opened now, that we can see things as they really are, the real world, heaven, your kingdom, and not the things that we see every day in the flesh down here, but what really matters. And so we thank you for opening blind eyes, and we pray that you continue to help us to comprehend and understand all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Had a interesting week, not that any, you know, but that's how we start my interesting week. I got the microphone, so you have to listen to my interesting week. We've all had interesting weeks, I'm sure. Um, but there was a time, and I don't know how to explain it, and sometimes it's probably best to keep things to myself, but there was a time where I just felt like I couldn't spiritually see anything. I just felt nothing was going right, nothing was right, and I don't know why it wasn't right. I just couldn't put my finger on it. Sometimes you can tell why things are happening, but I was just like, I don't know what it is, but bad things are happening, and I don't know why. I backed up uh, Jenny's car into the, into the black truck. And the black truck has quite a grill guard on it. And the black truck didn't move. And I got out of the car to see what happened. And my truck was just chewing on the back of its of her car. I'm like, what? How did I back up into the truck? Who, who still backs up into that's my That's the teenager's job of the house is to back up into cars, you know? But there I did. I mean, I just, boom, just shook me to the core. I'm like, what? There it was. This morning I woke up and Mariah says, Dad. Yeah, mom, what? There's five black animals in this side where there's only supposed to be four black animals. Okay, so I look up. And Buddy, the Buddy's name's being changed to Burger pretty soon, but Buddy, <laughs> <laughs> Buddy has gotten into the horse pasture, and I'm looking out there saying, how? I checked the wire. It's a, the hot wire's hot. Everything's, what? Is, how? For months, he's not breached that. And I'm like, okay, it's Sunday. It's Sunday. So here I stand before you, <laughs> with chapters 20 and 21, and I believe that during my prayer and quiet time and study time, God gave me something for myself, and hopefully it'll translate well enough. I'll be able to get it out of my mouth, and, and it'll make sense to you um, about the meaning of life, basically. Just we know this, and we all know that we're here to serve God, and it's God's kingdom, and there's nothing like God's kingdom, and don't get confused about the worldly kingdoms and all that, but somehow it all just came together. And so hopefully I'll be able to do that uh, and explain it or at least share with you what God shared with me, I believe. So chapter 20, Zophar steps in and he's going to begin to speak about Job. Again, Job has defended himself. Um, Job trusts trust in his redeemer. And the beauty of last week was that instead of with the healthy mouth that Job has, instead of cursing God with it, he actually, not only did he not just 
stop his mouth from cursing God, he went ahead and proclaimed the goodness of the Lord in my Redeemer lives. And we spent a lot of time on that. And I think that's important. It was a pivotal moment for us as a fellowship studying this book, but also for Job, where when, it, when everything is taken away, when I'm as confused as I could ever be and as spiritually blind as I am right now, I do not know what's happening in, all, all, you know, in the spiritual side of things. I will proclaim that my Redeemer lives. That's what I will do, you know. And what a great testimony. Um, and what a blow to Satan. And what a wonderful moment for God to enjoy and say, of course he did that. Of course, because I knew his heart the whole time. And of course, we read that and we're like, oh, I want that. Well, the three guys have been listening around and they're not as, in, they're not as impressed as we were with Job's uh, declaration of my Redeemer lives. So Zophar doesn't want to let that just hang there. So remember, these guys assume that Job's a hypocrite, that Job is wicked, and they just don't know why. Okay, so that's where we start off. Then Zophar the Namathite uh, answered and said, therefore my anxious thoughts make me answer. Because of the turmoil within me, I have heard the rebuke that reproaches me and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. I can't let it sit is basically what all that means. I can't just let your words stand. Do you not know this of old? Since man was placed on earth that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. In other words, you had your heyday, you were on top of the world, but don't, didn't you realize that was all going to come to an end eventually, you know, and it's finally come to fruition and your sin has found you out. Basically your sin always finds you out. That's his idea. Though his haughtiness mounts up to the heavens and his head reaches to the clouds, yet he will perish forever like his own refuse. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He will fly away like a dream not be found. Yes, he will be chased away like a vision of the night. Uh, the eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place behold him anymore. Now, all those things are true. Hypocrites, it, it does eventually. Now, whether in this life or not, you know, whether their sin gets found out here while they're still alive or while we're still alive, well, that's, that's debatable. That isn't the case always. Sometimes it's after they're gone that we discover these things about people, hidden you know, uh, lives that they've led. Um, and that happens. But it does, it does come out. And, and so he's correct in what he's saying. He's just incorrect in applying it to people, and to, and especially to Job. Um, he doesn't know that Job's a hypocrite. He's made the assumption and this is where I want to pause and, and begin to dabble into what I think today's teaching is about. Um, we kind of reverse engineer things. When we see a, a life well-lived, or we see someone successful monetarily um, with a family, uh, you, know, you know, emotionally, spiritually, when we see that success in front of us, we reverse engineer it and say it must be because of these things here. And that's why their life looks the way it looks. And that can be fair, but it's not always accurate. Um, and we can look at someone's life who is at the bottom, whatever that looks like to you. Um, when I was in LA, I saw a lot of people that I would assume were at the bottom of their lives, you know, who had nowhere else to go but up, basically. And it's easy to reverse engineer that. The choices and things like that have caused this to take place in their lives. 
And we universally apply those two um, ideas and thoughts to everybody around us all the time. Whether we know it or not, we do. I think it's just, it's just kind of how we're made. And, and that's what's happening in chapter 20 and 21. His friends are looking at the circumstances of Job's life, like they look at everybody else's, like they've been, like they've been taught to do. And they say, well, I don't know what's going on, but we reverse engineer your life. And it looks like you've got some problems. And so they just make that assumption. And that, that's not accurate. And, and scripture teaches us that. And I think that is, I mean, I believe this is the meaning of life if we can grab a hold of this this morning. And that's this. And I wrote down four things. And I wanted a whiteboard up here. I mean, I was, I was going. I mean, we need a whiteboard. I need markers. I need color. I'm going to do all this. And I don't have a, I don't have a whiteboard. They didn't have, if I asked for one, they would have got me one. But I thought, no, I'll just try to do this without it. Here's the first sentence. Obedience to God will or can bring wealth. The second sentence would be obedience to God will and can bring poverty. The fourth sentence, obedience to Satan will and can bring wealth. Obedience to Satan will and can bring poverty. Scripture proves that. It absolutely proves these things. It's not obedience and it's not wealth and it's not obedience and not poverty that matters. It's, it's who? It's God or it's Satan. And so I'm trying to bring this together in my mind and in, and in yours at the exact same time here, and it's kind of hard to do, but we're not called to reverse engineer. That's not it. The goal isn't wealth, and the goal shouldn't be poverty either. The goal should be God or Satan in our lives. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan, that's it. Paul articulates this, I think, the best, and that's, I think, what will pull it all together, is Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul says to the Philippians, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, that'd be the bottom, poverty, low, and I know how to abound, that's riches, wealth, comfort, Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. At the end of the day, and I think one of the teachings that we received at the pastor's conference, which is just, I mean, it just, one of those moments that just kind of floors you was with Don McClure. And he, and I've already shared this with you, but I'm going to share it with you again because I hope it, I hope it sinks in, but that God created all things, made it, made this creation and put us in it. And at the end of it all, he folds this creation up and puts it away. And yet we remain. And that's all that remains of everything he's ever done. Every tree that's ever grown, every grass that's ever grown, every earth, planet, star that ever existed is all going to vanish away. And the only thing left is us. And the whole purpose of all of this is for us to figure out one thing, the meaning of life, which is to learn. And it's not as simple as just trust God. It's to learn what the kingdom of God is. And it is the fruit of the spirit. The only thing I take with me out of this world, I don't take any of these clothes. I don't take my house. I don't take my car. And in some cases, we don't take some family members. I mean, it isn't even that. What I take with me is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. That's what matters. And I can have those things in wealth 
like Paul says, or I can have those things in poverty. It shouldn't make any difference whether I'm wealthy or I'm impoverished. Do I have those things? Do I have a clean conscience before God? That's the kingdom of God. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to abound. I've learned to have joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. I'm doing different orders just because I can't remember the list very well, but I'm, I don't know the song like the kids do in the back. Galatians 5, and 23 is what we're talking about here, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I've learned to have that no matter where I am. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. See, if it was just, if I was obedient to God, and this is where the health and wealth and prosperity doctrine falls short, is they're reverse engineering people's lives, and they assume that you have a really close, faithful relationship with God because of the condition that you find yourself in. Wealthy, content, you know, have all the things in all the world, you know, and that's not true. Because some very impoverished people all over the world, there are martyrs all over the world that find themselves without any of the things that we think we should reverse engineer and figure out where people are. And they've got it. They've got joy. They've got the kingdom of God. Jesus made that very clear. He said, oh, we're going to follow you wherever you go, they said to the Messiah. And he says, I don't have a place to lay my head. But he also had an ephod that was without seam. And some people get these things mixed up and think, well, he must be rich because he's got an ephod without seam. And that's where the prosperity doctrine guys come in. See, Jesus was rich. He was really wealthy. He had an ephod without seam. You know, it just wasn't given to him. It's easy for a homeless guy to find an Armani coat, you know, and put it on. Well, that guy must be, no, he's not. He goes home to a box, you know, kind of thing with an Armani coat. I mean, we could close shop this morning right there because I don't want to cloud the issue. The kingdom of God is not any of this. It's not wealth. It's not poverty. On either way, it's God or Satan. It is Satan can make a drug dealer the most wealthy man in the world or wealthy woman. In, I don't want to exclude women. I don't know how many women drug dealers there are or whatever bosses are, um, what cartels. But they're pretty well off and they have some pretty lavish lifestyles, but they're making it from sin. They've worshiped Satan. They've given themselves over to Satan and they've gotten rich off of it. So is that the way to riches? And this helps us understand Ecclesiastes. I know I'm jumping all around, but that's one of the weirdest books in the Bible in the sense that, as, as Solomon writes, I've, 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 t- I've tried this, I've tried that, I've gone there, I've gone this, I've done this. He describes all the things he's ever done. And here's what he says. I did write it down. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The words of the preacher... The son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? He says, I've done it all. I've sinned to the uttermost. I've been obedient to the uttermost to God. And I found all of it leaves me empty. Well, he's reverse engineering it. This might be a little too out there, but as I watch Job's friends look at him and not figure it out, and I watch Job even do it to himself and to those around him, he doesn't argue the point. I know that. I know that, uh, you know, that the hypocrite gets found out. I know that the wicked, uh, you know, gets it. And, and I know that eventually everybody gets this judgment, but they're, I think they're looking at it wrong. I don't think they're looking at it from that perspective. The right perspective. In Psalm 19, verses 9 through 11, 
The fear of the Lord is clean. It's enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. It is throughout Scripture. We just read that in Revelation when we studied that, that to the church who's saying, you know, you've got all these riches. I would like for you to buy things from me. Buy fine linen from me. Buy this robe from me. Buy what's important, what's going to last from me. That's the wealth. The wealth is a clean conscience before God in a cardboard box on a satin pillow. That's the most important thing. So, (laughs) verse 10. His children will seek the favor of the poor, and his hands will restore his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but he will lie down with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue, though he spares it and does not forsake it, but still keeps it in his mouth, yet his food and his stomach turn sour, it becomes cobra venom within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. He will suck the poison of cobras. The viper's tongue will slay him. He will not see the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. He will restore that for which he labored and will not swallow it down. From the proceeds of business, he will get no enjoyment. For he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has violently seized a house which he did not build. And so he's stumbling upon a truth there, which I I think I've just kind of summed up, and we can apply now to the rest of the passage that we read here, 20 and 21, is that although you have all those things, although you are rich and you've got the house, you've got everything you want, you can't sleep at night because of how you got them. Because it was ill-gotten gains. Because you made your money this way, or you compromised in this area, it's very difficult to sleep at night. You don't have any rest. You don't have any peace. You therefore don't have the fruit of the Spirit because because of the way you've conducted your life, which is everything. Regardless of where you find yourself, conducting your life in the obedience to God, whether it's in a cardboard box or a satin pillow, makes no difference as long as you conducted yourself in obedience to God. That's what matters. That's what you hold on to. That's what I die with. Those things. Because he knows no quietness in his heart. He will not save anything he desires. Nothing is left for him to eat. Therefore, his well-being will not last. In his self-sufficiency, he will be in distress. Every hand of misery will come against him. When he is about to fill his stomach, God will cast on him the fury of his wrath and will rain it on him while he is eating. He will flee from the iron weapon. A bronze bow will pierce him through. It is drawn and comes out of the body. Yes, the glittering point comes out of his gall. (laughs) Terror comes upon him. Total darkness is reserved for his treasures. An unfanned fire will consume him. It shall go ill with him who is left in his tent. The heavens will reveal his iniquity, and the earth will rise up against him. The increase of his house will depart, and his goods will flow away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion from God for a wicked man the heritage appointed to him by God. Now, that's all true. That's all very true. It's not true for Job. 
He's applying it wrong. And he feels justified in applying it to Job's life because of what we talked about. He has looked at Job's current condition and discovered that this is why he is the way he is. In some cases, we're correct. In some cases, people live in cardboard boxes by poor choices, by rebellion against God. And that's the case. It's absolutely true. Other people find themselves in poverty and are completely obedient to God and love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and and may even put our walk with God to shame. You cannot apply that. You cannot look at the condition of man and understand the condition of their heart physically. We don't know. And that's the lesson, I believe, from this, is his friends are doing what is almost automatic for most of us. That's how I evaluate my life sometimes. Look at this. Wow. Now, I thank God, and I thank Paul. uh, Well, not no, it wasn't Paul. It's David. But learning, let me read. I better read it. (laughs) Um, It's in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 through 9. So it would probably be um, one of the other kings. Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be poor and I would be tempted to steal, or rich that I would forget God and say, who is God? There's nothing wrong with riches and there's nothing wrong with poverty. It's, it's, it's the attitude of the heart in both of those things. So remember to give thanks and to it, the blessings of your life should produce in your thanksgiving to God. That shows the condition of your heart. Um, knowing you have a clean conscience before God and don't have anything in a a cardboard box uh, should produce thanksgiving to God regardless. Thank you, God, that I'm able to be a servant of yours and to be a blessing to those around me. Both are, both are true. And it's hard not to read this and think, well, that'd be great, but I'd really prefer the riches and wealth and thankfulness to God side of things, you know, but it's up to him to choose what he wants to do there. And that's the example of Job. Job is learning how to be abased. Job has learned how to abound and was always a Thanksgiving kind of guy, you know. And now he's in a different place in his life with everything removed from him, everything that the world accounted to him as righteousness stuff. And that's been removed. And so they automatically assume this. And now he is learning to be abased and to still give thanksgiving to God, which is what we had last week when he made that proclamation to the Lord. I think it's one of the healthiest things we can do spiritually is to give thanks to God when things are going horribly, when the health is gone, when things don't work out financially, to give thanks to God and to not wonder why or shake our fist, to be different than this world. The world is so moody, so moody, you know, Lots of examples of that that I could go to. And I'm, I was banned from Facebook this week for 24 hours. <laughs> and it has consequences because it's like they said, hey, could you post something about Operation Christmas Child? Well, you know, I really can't right now. <laughs> I'd love to let everybody know what's going on, but some of the other administrators on this page are going to have to do it because I've been, <laughs> it's maybe not funny, but it was to me. It does have consequences. But for... Almost a year now, it's been illegal on those platforms to talk about a certain person who just went through a court case 
and was exonerated. And anybody that supported this person in any way, shape, or force, form was banned. Was no, absolutely not. It goes against our community standards. And now he's been exonerated. First of all, how do you come up against or go into a trial with that kind of negative support? <laughs> Talk about prejudice and prejudicial situation there where you come in and say, yeah, I, I don't even know if I should be on the jury because I don't know if that's going to ban me from Facebook or not. And maybe they will be banned from Facebook because they found him not guilty. Um, it's wrong, but has it changed since the exoneration? I haven't tested the waters yet to find out whether any support can be given for this person now that he's been found not guilty, or will they still continue with that? That being said, um, that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in a world that looks outwardly without having any, any proof any evidence, just accusation and just assumptions. It was a very dangerous place to be. And the Christians of the world need to be different. Otherwise, we look just like them. We smell just like them. We are just like them. It needs to be different. What, what has Christ done but made me different? Changed me, given me his heart and his mind. Chapter 21. Then Job answered, Listen carefully to my speech and let, me, let, let this be your consolation. Bear with me that I may speak, and after I have spoken, keep mocking he says. As for me, is my complaint against man? And if it were, why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember, I am terrified and trembling takes hold of my flesh. Why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Now, you see what he's doing? They said, this is what an evil man looks like, Job. Sorry, reverse engineered your life. It's hard to ignore that you're in the condition you are. There must be something wrong. He's saying, no, let's look at the, let's look at the wicked people that we know are wicked. The people that have actually robbed us. The people that are doing these things to us. And we know who our oppressors are. Look at their kids. They're walking around just fine. Their houses are safe. They, they eat with safety. They're, they're in this great place. Why don't, you, why don't you apply that, what you're applying to me, to them? Reverse engineer that, you know, kind of thing. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull breeds without failure. Their cow calves without miscarriage. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They're happy and go-lucky people, and yet we know who they are. They sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. So what he's making a point here is, and they never went through what I went through. We watched their life from beginning to end as a Rockefeller, and I don't mean to pick on them, but let's pick on the Rockefellers or let's pick on the people we know who have generation after generation been wealthy, right? And they may have been great, upright, upstanding people, probably are, but let's assume they're not. We've watched people born with the silver spoon and die with the silver spoon. And we know, and he's talking about some specific people, exactly what kind of life they lived, not in secret, out in the open, and they were fine. And they went down to the grave in peace. Explain that, you know? Explain that. 
all have made the assumption that once you die, it's, you're good to go. You just got to make it through this life and good. And, and when we get to chapter 38, that's exactly what God brings up. How do you know you're good to go after you die? Have you opened up the gates of death? He says to them, you don't know what happens after you die. They've made a huge assumption that there's nothing that's going to take place. Hey, they died in peace. Must have gone on to be with the Lord. That's not, not the case. Not from what he's told us. There is a judgment that happens afterwards. They may have gotten by with it, but they won't get by with it. They won't get away with it. They say to God, depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. Atheists absolutely have nothing to do with God. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? Indeed, their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? How often does their destruction come upon them? The sorrows God distributes in his anger? They're like straw before the wind and like chaff that a storm carries away. They say, God lays up one's iniquity for his children. Well, he died, but his kids are going to pay the price for it is what they say in those circumstances. That's their justification. And Job answers, he says, let him recompense him that he may know it. What good does it do if we punish the kids for something he's done? He never, he doesn't even know. It needs to happen to that person if that's how it's, justice isn't served by punishing little kids for something dad did. That's not how justice is served. Even they can recognize that. Let his eyes see his destruction and let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care about his household after him when the number of his months is cut in half? When he dies, he doesn't look back. Nobody does. What difference does it make? The only time they cared about their families when they were around their family. But once they die and they go on, they're not looking back to see what's happened to them, nor do they care about it. Can anyone teach God knowledge? Since he judges those on high, one dies in his full strength, being whole, wholly at ease and secure. His pails are full of milk, and the marrow of his bones is moist. Another man dies in the bitterness of his soul, never having eaten with pleasure. They lie down alike in the dust, and worms cover them. This is what we talked about. So, look, I know your thoughts and the schemes with which you wrong me. For you say, Where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent, the dwelling place of the wicked? Have you not asked those who travel the road? And do you not know their signs? For the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. They shall be brought out on the day of wrath. Who condemns his way to his face? And who repays him for what he has done? Yet he shall be brought to the grave. And a vigil kept over the tomb. The clods of the valley shall be sweet to him. Everyone shall follow him as countless have gone before him. How then can you comfort me with empty words since falsehood remains in your answer or in your answers? Heavy. Job's right. <laughs> His friends are right. I hope we're a little righter than they are. I hope we understand this. I hope we can see both sides of this and also with the benefit of chapters one and two and the last four chapters of Job can look back and say, I see what you're teaching. You don't need to take me there. I see what you're teaching, you know? That's my prayer. I want to go down with most, whatever moist morrow means. It means I guess I don't have bone cancer or something like that. I guess I'm, you know, 
I want to go down in my vigor. You know, I want that I want Jenny to find me face down in a pasture someplace or something, you know, not not someplace that I want to be right there. Oh, there he is. And then I don't have to move me, just dig a hole and roll me over and I'm done. And that's that'd be great. That's exactly how I want to go. It's kind of weird to talk about, but I, I mean, we're all going to go there. I think it's foolish for us to think not, and that's what he's getting at. We're, we, one, many have gone before him, and many are going to come after him. Everybody goes there, you know. The end of the day, it's who we served, and it's how we walked. I alluded to this, and I danced around it, so let me close with this one scripture, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is, this is everything. This is the reason we get saved, not only for our salvation to go to heaven, but so that we can produce this fruit on earth, so that we can have this life now, so that the thing that the, the only things that matter that we carry off into heaven and live forever and have forever in heaven, we can have now in this world and live it regardless of the box that we live in or the satin pillow that we rest our head upon. The fruit of the spirit is love. It's joy, peace long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. That's not a byproduct. That's not secondary. It's primary. It's the most important thing to focus on in this world are those things. I don't want to get rich. I don't want to have wealth. I don't want to have a lot of kids. I don't want to have a healthy marriage. I don't want to have a strong, you know, whatever it is that we exalt. I want this. And whatever happens this way, having these in my bank account, I can live with. If I'm a loving person, if I'm a peaceful person, a joyful person, a long-suffering person, a person full of kindness and goodness, and I'm a faithful person, if I'm gentle, if I have self-control, I've done everything and I am everything God made me to be. It's a perfect way to live regardless of whether I have a flush bank account or if I have nothing in my account, whether my wife loves me or whether my wife doesn't love me or my husband loves me or my husband doesn't love me or my kids love me or they don't love me. This is what goes on into heaven. This is what we carry with us. It's the most important thing we can focus on on this earth. It's all that matters. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. In Psalm 119, you say that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And this morning, we've been shown where your path lies and where our feet stand. And we pray that if our feet are not on your path, that we would quickly get to your path. Refocus. Put all of our efforts into and desires and our hearts towards these things, God, that are important to you, these things that are of value to you, these things that are eternal. We want that in our lives. So God, make us into those people. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We don't want you to have to battle our flesh so that your spirit can produce these things in our life. We want our flesh completely out of the way and gone. And we have some decisions we need to make as to what we bring into our life and what we do with our lives. All things are lawful, but are all things profitable? Do all things produce in us and bring out of us these things, these beautiful attributes of your love in our lives? And if this is the goal and this is the riches and the treasure that you speak of, help us to be wholeheartedly digging for it, searching for it, longing for it.
obsessed with it, Lord. Make us this kind of fellowship. Make us these kind of people, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need any prayer before you go, be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week. Operation Christmas Child today, 1 to 4. And then tomorrow, 8 to 10, we pack up the trailer and head down. And next week, we'll give you our, our head count, our tally of boxes.